0: Hello and welcome to our founded Connected Philanthropy podcast. We are privileged to have Miko Marquette Whitlock, founder and CEO of Mindful Techie, as our guest today. And we will be talking about work life and tech life balance for nonprofit professionals. Miko is a digital wellness coach and brings a wealth of knowledge and even personal experience to this topic. He's helped Nonprofit change makers find work life and tech life balance in today's digital world and helping teams break free from the distractions getting in the way, freeing them to do their best work is his passion. Thank you so much for joining us today, Miko.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Great. Well, I have some questions for you. So many. So let's just dive right in. I like to start out with setting the table and having you tell our listeners a little about yourself and your journey to to where you are today
1: absolutely uh, i've worked all of my professional career in the nonprofit and government sector and i've always had a passion for for giving back and it really dates back to one of my earliest experiences from childhood being a latchkey kid you know from the age of five years old i had a door key, and i don't know if any of you who are listening you know, you have a small, small child, or you've been a caregiver for a small child, but five years old is is very young to give the responsibility of having a door key um, to to a child, at least in in today's um, day and age. And part of the reason that was the case for me is that at that particular time, I was raised primarily by my my mom, single mom. And, uh, you know, Childcare was challenging as a single mom, you know, working to to make ends meet. And so one of my responsibilities at that very young age was to make sure I had that door key. And every day after school, I was to pick up my younger brother from kindergarten and make sure we got on the school bus and that we got home and that we were were safe and sound until my mother was able to come home. And, you know, we had neighbors looking out for us to make sure that we were okay during that time period. But when I think about that time period and I think about, uh, the, the privilege that I've had in terms of how my life and education has evolved during that time, um, I've always wanted to give back in and really uh, be of service to make the life of folks that were similarly situated that much better. And so I made a decision um, very early on um, in my schooling and professional career that I wanted to dedicate my life to being of service to the nonprofit and the government sector. And that led me to taking on a number of different roles, um, primarily um, in the area of technology communication. That was something that I was um, very interested in, still remain very interested in to this day. So I've done web development, I've done software engineering, I've done technical project management. Um, In my last role before doing the work that I'm doing now, I worked on both the association side and also at the federal government level, um, doing work related to public health, um, specifically um, communications, public health related work connected to HIV and hepatitis. And so I'm very passionate about giving back. I'm very passionate about um, leveraging technology and communication tools to uh, really make a difference in the lives of under-resourced and, and underserved communities. And so one of the things that I've recognized though along this journey is that uh, many of us that are working in the social change sector, we're very passionate about the work that we do. And sometimes so much so, that we sacrifice our own personal well-being, our own personal relationships, right, our own personal lives, for the sake of the mission of the folks that we're serving, for the sake of the 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 mission that we're advancing and moving forward in our organizations. And over the long term, that is detrimental, right? And so I saw this perpetual cycle um, as I was working in the change-making sector, and I even experienced this you know, myself, I had my, my own challenge with this, where I realized that I, I reached a point where I was so overworked, I was so overwhelmed um, with the work that I was doing, um, particularly my last role as communications director for this large association focused on eating HIV and hepatitis. And I, I reached a point where I, I was severely overweight, I was depressed, um, I was sort of losing motivation for the, the primary reason that drove me to do the work to begin with and i hit a brick wall and i realized that i could literally drop dead from doing this work right and uh, i would have done that in service of the mission but at the end of the day the work would keep moving forward right so you know colleagues would have nice things to say about me and my memorial service hopefully right uh, but they would just hire somebody else at some point to pick up where i left off right to pick up on those emails to pick up on the projects that were that were left unfinished uh, and it was when I had that realization, I realized in the words of, um, Wayne Dyer, who passed away some years ago, um, I didn't want to die with my music still inside of me, That I still have more that I wanted to give to the world in terms of personally and professionally, and that there had to be a, a more sustainable way to do good work in the world without sacrificing yourself, because if there wasn't a more sustainable way, then There wouldn't be anybody in the sector to do the work, right? And so I had that realization and I I started on this path of really merging my personal and spiritual um, development along with some professional development and started along this journey. I started to share the story, started to examine the sphere of influence at that time in in my organization, which was myself and the team that I was managing. And I gave a talk at a conference. maybe about uh, almost 10 years ago. And the result of that experience, um, it was a very short five minute, like Ted-like talk. And I talked about this journey. I talked about this challenge. I talked about what I was doing with my team and for myself. And the response was so overwhelming uh, in an unexpected and beautiful way. Uh, And I realized a few things as a result of that conversation, or those conversations that I had with folks after that talk, which was one, I wasn't alone in having this challenge. Number two, people wanted help with addressing the challenge. And then number three, people wanted to pay me to help them do it. <laughs> and so when I had that realization, that was sort of the start of this journey that I've been on, um, I think, you know, since, since 2017, uh, to create a culture of well-being for changemakers uh, all around the world so that we can do the good work that we're doing, we can do it better, um, but we can do it also while living full and robust lives outside of just our professional work and our professional missions and
0: calling. Oh, wow. That's a, that's a powerful story. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. Um, and, and you do, you, you, that's, we need hope because <laughs> you're right. Um, it, it does get overwhelming. And as I I looked at at what you what you do and what you specialize in, that that phrase of work-life and tech-life balance came came out. And um, the technology could be real powerful. And, and I have a tech background as well. Um, so I've heard of this work-life balance before, but this term of tech-life balance, it sounds like there might be a, a secret in there that could could be helpful. Uh, what What is it and how do you see it impacting specifically those who work in the nonprofit sector.
1: Absolutely. So the, the, the tech life balance piece really, um, and th- this is not unique to me. I'm sure that there are other folks that are, that are using this term and have been using it before. But for me, how I came to use that is that you know, I, I was doing a lot of work around work life balance, and I'm known as the, the mindful techie. So I also do a lot of work specifically around how do we effectively use technology, how do we use it in an intentional way? in a way that it actually adds value to our life and work as opposed to taking away value. And so to your point, technology can have that double edged sword. And uh, we recognize over time that uh, the role that technology plays in our life and in our work has increased dramatically. And if nothing else, we have the example of the last several years from the pandemic, where we have used technology tools to stay connected, um, to stay productive, to stay engaged, not only at work, but you know, we were We're doing and still doing, even with things changing with the pandemic, you know, um, you know, virtual home going services and funerals, you know, uh, people getting married over over some birthday parties, happy hours, things of that nature. Uh, And so uh, with that increase in screen time, with that increase in reliance on the technology uh, and with an an acknowledgement that not every company that is producing a tool or platform necessarily has an altruistic motive. Right in terms of your health, health and well-being, we have to be mindful of those things, and we have to be putting in place practices and strategies for ourselves, and especially for our younger folks, for our little ones, and for our teenagers um, that are still developing and and growing, and might not necessarily have um, a a sort of mature to a point where they're able to make some of those decisions um, in a way that we might make from an adult um, framework. So, uh, from all of that, really. When I think about the work-life balance, work, and and I think about the technology piece, it just seems to me like a natural connection to call it tech life balance as well. Because we're not saying technology is bad; we're just simply saying how do we use it in a balance and in an intentional way.
0: Right. And I I love as a as a tech vendor, I'm working for a tech vendor myself. I love you know making sure everybody's aware and that you know sometimes it could add value and 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 sometimes you know just being sure that you're using the technology in a way that that can add value and and doesn't ultimately take away from your yes. um, what as you as you meet with people and and have talked with the people that may have come up like after your your first uh, speaking opportunity or since then and have been working with folks what do you what technology or what challenge do you see people struggling the most with to balance or what, are, what what might be one common one?
1: Because we rely on it so much to get work done and also because of the pandemic to uh, stay connected to one another personally and professionally, what we're experiencing right now, I think, is something that some folks call collaboration overload, right? Where um, we are simultaneously spending more time than ever before connected through meetings, for example, virtual meetings through chat tools like Slack or through the Microsoft Teams chat, for example. Um, And then we have more tools than ever that we are relying on simultaneously, right? So we have collaborative platforms, like the Google, Google Docs and the Office 365. You know, we have the project management tools. uh, And, you know, we have CRMs, and all these things that are happening. And so We have more than enough to stay connected. We have more than enough to be productive. Um, But one of the things that I'm seeing is that people are overwhelmed by the sheer volume of tools that we're having to um, utilize to stay connected and to stay productive, and also um, by the, the amount of coordination that that actually requires by way of, even if it's communication via chat or via email, or the fact that we're spending more time than ever actually in meetings, whether they're in-person, hybrid or remote.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's the volume and the, the amount of it. I could I could see um every every tool you mentioned. Sometimes I I think back to what did we do before that? Right. And uh, so so the the capabilities of them are are really positive, but. When when you get through three days in a row of straight meetings back to back, yeah, you feel exhausted, not energized, right? Yes. Um, So, what are some of the first steps or or parts of of getting awareness or uh, admitting you have a problem, (laughs) or the problem, I guess, might be the first step.
1: Well, I I think the the first step is really just acknowledging the new reality, acknowledging, just taking a step back and uh, acknowledging the larger context that the world has changed, the way that we live and work has changed, the way that we connect has changed. And even if you don't have answers or you don't have all the answers, there is power in simply acknowledging that, particularly at a team level, if you are a leader in an organization or you are supervising or managing a team, whether it's a team of volunteers a team of fundraisers. Maybe you're managing a team overall in terms of your your nonprofit organization. Um, there is power in acknowledging and acknowledgement. And one of the things that we know from the research around acknowledgement is that that actually creates um, psychological safety. And psychological safety is one of the things that we need in order to have better connections, um, human to human, right? And in a team setting, we know that teams where there is a high level of psychological safety, um, teams. Are, they have stronger relationships and they're gonna be more productive and more effective. And so one of the best things that we can do is simply acknowledge that things have changed and, and that is simply acknowledging the impacts of COVID on us and the specific impact of technology, you know, simply acknowledging that that is where we are um, is, is one of the first places I think that we can, we can start. And then doing that without judgment um, because this isn't about blame or shame, um, for ourselves or for other people. Um, and it, it, it's, it's about simply making that acknowledgement. And once we have made that acknowledgement, one of the things that I think is really powerful um, is actually giving ourselves a bit of grace, right? We're all struggling, we are, we're dealing with, in many ways, an unacknowledged trauma uh, and unacknowledged mental health crisis, right? Um, that we're, we're dealing with collectively that hasn't really been addressed in a systematic way. And so we have to acknowledge that um, we are simultaneously grieving losses, losses of routine, losses of loved ones, losses of the the way things were before with our little ones, um, loss of um, you know, a, t- a type of bonding and socialization um, that you can't replace by screen-to-screen uh, interaction. And so we're simultaneously dealing with that in the background, and we're trying to show up and pretend like everything is okay, <laughs> you know, with 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 the on Zoom and in in Slack and in email and trying to keep the trains moving. And so, again, one of the more powerful things we can do is simply Acknowledge that okay, we're we're not okay if we're not okay. Um, that we may be on a roller coaster of emotions, and then to give ourselves grace to experience whatever it is that we're experiencing. That's going to be sort of the foundation for any type of healing or 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 transform, positive transformation as a next step.
0: I like that. I I could see that, and I I could see where that 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 isn't intuitive to me because, like you said, uh, you know. I'm missing connections but I'm seeing people on zoom so i I feel that I shouldn't be feeling this way and yeah um, but just taking a step back and allowing you to feel the way you feel um that and that like you said the world has changed and taking a break from from it I know has helped in the past but are there other potential areas that someone might, find, you know, an answer for how to move forward or how to change the cycle. Because I, I have to admit as much as I read the next productivity book, or how to keep up with my emails, I, you know, or I'm just like, once I get caught up, then I'll figure out how to stay caught up. It just doesn't work. (laughs) So, so what, 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 yeah, what else should I, I do to break the cycle?
1: Yeah, so there there are a few things. So first is um, part of the acknowledgement is just understanding that um, what many of us are experiencing is what I call IDD, or intention deficit disorder. And so this is where we're moving through our day to day, and we're so busy that um, we wake up first thing in the morning for many of us, and we're grabbing our devices. You know, we're turning on the TV. You know, we are responding to text messages, we're scrolling through social media, we're looking at the news, we're we're looking at email, we're going through our checklist of things that we have to get done. And we're doing all of that before we greet our loved ones, right? And so we're, we spend our entire day sort of in this, in this place of busyness and and rushing from one thing to the next. So you have back-to-back meetings and then you come home and maybe you have more work to do in between dinner and walking the dog and taking care of the kids. And and then you sort of collapse of exhaustion and then you repeat the process over and over and over again. And so one of the things I encourage people to do is to, if you don't have a start and a stop routine to start your day and to end your, particularly when it comes to your work day, I'm, I'm inviting people to create that routine. Right. And to create that separation between life and, and everything else. And really, this is an opportunity for you to nourish yourself. This is an opportunity for you to pour into yourself. Um, and if you feel like you're listening to this and you feel like, okay, I, I can't add one more thing to my list. You're just giving me one more thing to my list. My invitation for you is to start with five minutes. I think we can all find five minutes. You can find five minutes that you can carve out for yourself, make an appointment on your calendar. At both the start and the end of your day, and that can be something as simple as doing some breathing, listening to a guided meditation. Uh, you know, maybe that's the time you spend with your your dog on the couch. Uh, maybe that's the time when you're, you're drinking your tea or your coffee, whatever it is. And if you have more time, then obviously I invite you to expand that the amount of time that you're able to have for yourself to pour into yourself. And that is going to create space for you to get clearer about what actually is important or what your intention is for a particular day, for a particular week or particular season of your life that you're in. And if you are clear about your intention, then it becomes easier to figure out of all the things you have on your plate, what are the things that are actually important for you to do? And you can begin to set boundaries And you can begin to say no or not right now, you can begin to delegate a bit more effectively. So that is one of the the first places to start. Um, And you allow space for, you mentioned you reading these productivity books and you read the, the articles and so on and so forth. That is also the space where you're able to connect the dots between the things that actually work for you because not every strategy is for everyone. Right, and so you have to find what works for you. But if you're not if you're not giving yourself space to to do that, um, then you're just sort of going through the motions. You're not really allowing it to sink in. You're not really allowing yourself to practice in a in a deep way to see what actually works and what doesn't work. Uh, and so this is part of uh, allowing you to have that that spaciousness. So that that be the first place to start. Um, and in terms of practical. More practical strategies. I want to share two more things with you, if that's okay. Um, you, you mentioned earlier we don't do things the way we used to do them, and you know we don't we're not using technology the way we used to use them before. So one of the the cool things about the the opportunity that we have moving forward is that we still have phones, right? We still have conference calling services. And I remember before the pandemic, before Zoom, um, before you know, go to meeting, you know. I, I manage teams and contractors, people that I actually never met, because we, we just have conference calls. We have old-fashioned phone calls, right? And I encourage people to, to t- t- tap into that spirit again. And the research actually backs us up, particularly when it comes to Zoom meetings and other types of video media platforms. We know that Zoom exhaustion is real. We know that um, we require a bit more emotional and cognitive engagement in order to be in back-to-back video-mediated meetings, because we're having to bridge the gap between cues and 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 other types of behaviors um, that we're we, it doesn't require as much energy for us to pick up on when we're actually meeting face-to-face or when we're actually in person, right? And so that is one aspect of that. Um, we're not used to seeing ourselves reflected back to us, right? And so that's another aspect of that. And we're not used to, to seeing so many different people all at once, right, on a, on a screen, right? It's an unnatural form of human communication. And the research shows us that one of the ways that we can offset that is that being intentional about whether we actually require cameras on or off for those video-mediated interactions. Many of us think that it actually increases engagement, but the research shows um, that it actually decreases engagement because it requires more load cognitively and emotionally, and it puts you in a position where you're you're more exhausted. So if you're having back to back meetings, then and you're required to be on camera, then you are actually you have less to give in terms of actually being engaged, right? Um, whereas a lot of people have the option to turn off the camera again, if if this makes sense based on the intention for the meeting, then. That you're allowing a bit, you're allowing that flexibility, and you're allowing people to actually the, to, to have more in their tank, um, to be a bit more engaged um, with you with with the meeting. One last point I'll make about this is that the research also shows that it the impact is even greater for women, right? Because we have unconscious biases and we have expectations about the appearance of women. Right, and how they should show up. So um, we internalize that, men and women. And um, we sort of just, we, we don't talk about the fact that it might take a little bit more effort for someone to do their hair a certain way or to put on makeup or to wear something that we would deem to be workplace appropriate for a woman, right? And so those are other things that we have to be mindful of when we are requiring folks to to be on camera as to really think about what is the intention behind this? And to, to understand what the potential impact is of that if we're making um, those those requirements. So I'll pause there, I have one more thing, but I wanna pause, I see you're shaking your head and I wanna see if <laughs> there's yeah, anything you wanna I mean, say in response
0: I, to that. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm seeing what, I, um, you know, and listening to what you're talking about, it's, it's causing even more realization of, you know, things that you would think would make it easier um, may actually overall uh, add to add, add to the weight that you're carrying and the exhaustion. Yeah, I yes. see. So thank
1: you. Yes. Yes, and so again, and this, this is not an absolute position, but just really an invitation for folks to be mindful of whether or not you actually need cameras on or off uh, and to uh, think about the intention and, and what you want to accomplish uh, and based on where you land, if it's for part of the meeting, and there's a a purpose why you want people to have their cameras on, including the information on the agenda or, or in the calendar invite, so people can prepare appropriately. They know that it's cameras on, or it's cameras optional, or um, it's cameras off, we're going to do an old school conference call, whatever it is, so people can prepare ahead of time. Uh, the The last thing I want to share at this point is something that I call establishing your rules of engagement. And so before I talked about IDD and that that nonstop busyness that many of us, that cycle, that hamster wheel that many of us find ourselves on. And one of the ways that we can break that, particularly in a hybrid workplace, is by establishing your rules of engagement. And your rules of engagement are essentially a series of um, questions that you're discussing as a team on an ongoing basis. And you can do this at work with your team. You can also do this as a family as well. And this includes things like, what are your hours of availability? So we're not guessing when people are available. We're not frustrated when they're not available. And we know how to get things done when they're not available, right? And so having explicit conversations about hours of availability, expectations, when you're available. um, And because we're talking about hybrid workplace, you know, when are you actually going to be in the office versus working remote? right? Because that impacts the type of collaboration that you can engage in um, when you have colleagues that are working from different spaces that have different work arrangements, right? So that's one aspect of it. Um, when you're carving out focus time, right? So we have, we're really good about putting those meetings on our calendars, but where's the time to do the work that's generated by all the meetings? Where's the time to focus on writing that report, right? Where's the time to focus on following up with potential leads or, or donors, right? Where's the time to, to follow up and to um, review analytics of your last campaign? Where Where are those things on your calendar, right? If I were to ask you about your meetings, many of us would probably point to, oh, I have 17 meetings this week and here, here, here they are and they're on my calendar, okay? So what are the, t- the key tasks you're focused on this week and where are those on your calendar? Making sure that we're putting those things on your calendar. Identifying what's urgent versus non-urgent, and outlining, you know, if something is urgent, what is the best way for me to contact Tammy? Right? Should I email Tammy? Should I um, send her a Teams message? Should I um, pick up the phone and call her? What's the best way to do that? Uh, and what actually constitutes urgency? Right? What what is urgent versus important? So I know which method of communication to use, um, and I also know like. If, if your hours are available, let say that you're out of the office today and I have something non-urgent, then I can wait until you're back in the office. I don't have to call you on vacation about something that was inconsequential, right? <laughs> um, and then the last thing is, what are our expectations in terms of response times based on the method of communication and based on the level of urgency and importance? Oftentimes, what happens is we assume that everything... Is urgent. Everything is important. Everything requires an immediate response. And So many of us, we are stressed out in part because we feel like, OK, it's like a race. Like you have to respond as quickly as possible to that email that comes in, to that that chat message that comes in, um, to that calendar request that was unsolicited <laughs> that comes in. Right. And. We make assumptions that that level of urgency is required for every single thing, as opposed to pressing the pause button and actually having an explicit conversation about, hey, actually, could I, you know, I I noticed you didn't indicate when you needed this. Would it be okay if I got this back to you by the end of the week? Would that be okay with you, right? As opposed to assuming that this person needs that thing right away. One simple thing, having those explicit conversations in an ongoing way, because your rules of engagement might change based on the season of life and work you find yourself in. And many of us, if you're in a fundraising organization, you know, we're moving into the busiest season of the year for many organizations. And having those explicit conversations can be one simple thing that we can all do to create clearer communication, um, erase some of those assumptions and lower our collective stress and anxiety levels.
0: Focusing and spending your energy in the in the areas, and they're probably much fewer than you assume. Like you said, um, that really are that urgent. Um, yes. Yeah. I had a recent, you know, family situation that came up that disrupted everything, and I was really surprised that there was room to, you know, and and our. The team supported each other, and and yes. you know the world didn't stop. I'm surprised. <laughs> no. Yes. <laughs> uh, and and it really it did give you me insight into how much I just been doing what you were saying of assuming that, that yes. all this needs to be done right away or or putting those uh, default assumptions. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I. I really think that there's so much room here and importance to to figuring this out because uh, I love my work and even my whole career. Like as as yes. your story has been, um, when people ask what my hobbies are, and I think of. Oh well I I really enjoy figuring out problems at work or you know <laughs> you know if I get a choice to go to lunch with someone and talk about ideas that it, it, it generally always get you know so so realizing that there may be a time and season where where you are in your career too but I really feel as we think about the nonprofit sector and and to your point that you made when you mentioned your story of how important it is to protect the people that are making a difference and and protect yourself there so that you can you know help the mission that for for a longer time so that you can teach others how to so you can support that that yes. type of environment and and <laughs> break the cycle not you know escalate at another level yeah
1: yes absolutely
0: well all of this uh you've you've given us so much already (laughs) to think about and and the thing i love is it's not just talking and i mean the acknowledgement knowing that you're not the only one those are big those things are big but knowing and and seeing from your website and um when i when i went out and looked at at what you offer uh offer the community there and the not what you've been doing. There are some real steps, advice, training, coaching that, that you have. And, and I so appreciate that. Can you provide our listeners with a summary of, of what you do and, and where they could go to learn more? If this is something that they find themselves looking for help.
1: Absolutely. So I, I work exclusively with change makers and change making organizations and teams. And my intention when I work with you is to support you in doing the great work that you're doing even better. So I want you to be able to make space to take care of yourself and to live a robust personal life, but also to be able to give your all to your mission and to advancing that mission. And just as with what we talked about today, um, I provide a little bit of framing. Um, but I don't spend a lot of time going into the theoretical and the abstract. I'm really focused on giving people practical strategies that they can put in place right away. And so I hope that people coming out of this conversation were able to take away at least one thing that's very practical, very tangible, that they can start to put into practice almost um, immediately. And uh, if folks want to learn more, they can go to my website, mindfultechie.com. That is M-I-N-D-F-U-L. T E C H I E dot com. And I would encourage you to sign up for the email list. And when you do that, you're going to get a free copy of the work life balance assessment. I, you know, Tammy, one of the questions you asked me is like, where do you start? And so part of that acknowledgement piece is I have um, a, a, a fun quiz that you can take to get your work life balance and tech life balance score. And that is going to help you to figure out in terms of acknowledgement where you're starting from in this season of your life and work. And that might change based on season. So you can take the the quiz over and over again. You can share it with your team. Um, But the idea is you can see where you are without judgment, without shame, give yourself some grace, and then figure out, based on what your score is, how you want to move forward. Um, And so that the workbook walks you through reflecting on where you are, where you want to go, what are the resources that you have available to you? Um, Obviously, I'm a resource if folks want to engage with me. Um, there's information about how to engage with me uh, as well. But if folks want to stay connected, again, going to the website, signing up for the email list, you get this free um, workbook that's going to walk you through this process of assessing um, where you are and identifying um, next steps um, to hopefully make you situated where you're, where you're better off. You're able to do good work um, and to do it without burnout and to do it without being overwhelmed.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, and we will include all those links that Miko mentioned in our show notes. And as you mentioned, what's at least the one takeaway I'm like, yeah, I could fit in that start and stop routine, you know, to, to start my day and, and stop it with intention. And, and, uh, that way I can capture the excitement of what I'm doing, but the intention I have of, of the balance. So uh, that's, yes. a, that's my takeaway. I hope everyone else is, has taken away that or, or more. And if you've learned something from today's Connected Philanthropy podcast, please share it with others who might also enjoy it and benefit from it. And we look forward to connecting with with our listeners and, and Miko, maybe even in future webinars, podcasts or our community discussions. So uh, Miko, do you have any last advice or comments you'd like to leave our listeners with?
1: Absolutely. I, you know, I, I think that there is nothing more important than identifying and living out your life's intention. We all have a, a reason or why that connects us to, the service that we're engaged in. I shared a little bit of my story at the at the beginning. And I hope that folks can take this as an opportunity to slow down on the the treadmill a little bit of the busyness and to build in, whether it's a start and stop routine or something else, a, some space to be intentional and to reflect on what's really important for you, why you're doing the work that you're doing. And how can you do it in a more sustainable way so that you can have an even greater impact and you can serve even more people, um, but you can also be available for your friends, your family, your colleagues, and most importantly, for for yourself.